0: Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation features creators Tom Taylor and John Samariva with their new graphic novel, Neverlanders. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing and literary culture. I'm Andrew Popel and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Final Draft is dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. Every week we look into the issues that drive our storytelling and help you discover more from the books you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. 2SEL broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and the Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connections to their lands, now that these are unceded lands and that treaty has never been made with Australia's First Nations. Tom Taylor is an award-winning author who's written for Suicide Squad, Spider-Man and the X-Men, And John Summeriva is the artist for such best-selling comics as Batman, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Star Wars, and the Avengers. Their creation, Neverlanders, introduces the reader to a group of homeless kids, the Lost Ones, who are about to have their whole world changed when they meet Paco. The Lost Ones are canny and self-reliant. They can look after themselves, but there's no sense that their lives are moving forward. Paco wants to offer them a deal, a world just for them, a place where they can thrive, but it's a world under threat, and the lost ones will have to learn pretty quickly whether they have what it takes to save it. Join me with Tom and John as we discover their incredible new creation, Neverlanders. I really appreciate this. Loved it. I'm going to mention this in my intro, but I'll give you guys the full context. I am a Big old school, like comic book geek from the you know um anatomically bizarre '90s when you know the Image boys were going crazy, and yeah. and then I I became an adult and I haven't picked up the books for such a long time. So this is a bit of a thrill knowing your your um your pedigree uh, across the universes that I used to love so well. Come
1: cool. <laughs> back to comics, yeah. Doesn't matter if you're an adult. I'm an adult too. Just do it.
0: Join yes. us. <laughs> I think it's. I, I think I, I. think I once sort of looked and I was kind of like, hmm. If I want to buy all the books, it's like I could. I could buy them all, or I could maybe one day afford a house in Australia. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's. Uh, it, is, it is. so much fun, um, and I just love what you've done with with Neverlanders. But um, all right, I think. <laughs> I I think my discombobulation has has kind of settled. I have got a whole bunch of questions and I'm going to throw an intro in here. Are you guys happy to just sort of go with it? Absolutely. All right. Look, we are recording. Beautiful. The most important thing is we are recording. All right, here we go. Today... I am so pleased to be joined by two incredible creators. I've got Tom Taylor. He is an award-winning author, BAFTA-nominated screenwriter and GLAAD Award nominee. Tom's written for a range of popular titles, including Suicide Squad, Spider-Man and X-Men. I'm a little bit thrilled about this, Tom. He's also a co-creator, executive producer and lead writer of the animated series The Deep, which is based on his graphic novels. Joining him... Is John Samarivit, you're also known as Red J. He's been published by Image Comics, Dark Horse, and DC as an artist for such best-selling comics as Batman, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Star Wars, and The Avengers. Guys, this is such a thrill. Thank you for taking the time.
2: Thanks for having us. Yeah, my pleasure. Our pleasure. <laughs>
0: I've I've just name-dropped some of the biggest, hottest properties, but we are talking about your your latest project together. It is called Neverlanders. Sharp eared listeners may already have a clue about what it is going to be about, just just from the title. Before we get into it though, like I, I spent a lot of my teens as a proper comic book geek. You guys are my very first creative team though on Final Draft. I've Always been fascinated, and maybe if you want to talk about the project of Neverlanders, I've always been pr- fascinated by that collaboration, the way the visuals and the words walk, work together. How do you guys work together as a writer and an artist and to maybe make something like Neverlanders come onto the page?
1: Uh, look, I think when you're working, you know, for Marvel, for DC, it's a, it's a vastly different experience. You know, when when I'm running Superman or X-Men or Spider-Man or something, there are some times when I don't even get a chance to talk to the artists. Whereas John and I have been friends for a really long time and had always wanted to work together. So I think with Neverlanders, we got a, a proper collaboration where we were talking constantly and always... You know, on the phone for hours, getting each other more and more excited, and you know, we and tweaking things, and John would have a suggestion, I'd have a suggestion, and and it was a proper. This is we built a world together and characters together, and it's felt like yeah, um, our baby comic book baby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what about for you, John? Like, how does how, which comes first, um, the, the 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 egg of Tom's words or the chicken of your pictures? <laughs> Um, well
2: on this one, I mean, literally it started with, um, Tom's pitch to me, which is basically the very first chapter that you read in the book, um, or the, the first bit of the first chapter. And, um, you know, it's just got like, like in an ideal world, I, I wish that people never even knew what this book was about whatsoever. And you just picked it up and read it and, um, and were just blown away by this, um, punchline, which I received, which was, you know, the kids are going to go to Neverland because... I, I didn't know what he, what this was going to be about when he first started telling me about it. And, um, as soon as I heard that, I was like, Oh, we're going to Neverland. Okay. I get it. You know, it made sense. We're going to get to design lost boys. And the beauty of it is, um, you know, we're not, we're not really, um, building on the Peter Pan stuff, you know, it's more the the lost boys and the world and all that sort of thing. So, um,
0: yeah, I, I just thought that was going to be really fun. Anyway, sorry, I think I was 12 off there. <laughs> not at all, not at all. I mean, look, I, I, I think it's inevitable that the Sharp-Eared listeners are going to be picking up on Neverland in the title there. This is riffing on the Peter Pan story. J.M. Barry's original creation is now more than a century old. I want to actually think about that. Like, you've both worked on properties that are household names thanks to their pop culture representation. Now I'm thinking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Avengers, Spider-Man. What is the creative process like for you both in telling that story, in creating those visuals, when you have that weight of history? Like, how do you create into that space that has, I guess, certain walls
1: uh, are you talking in in sort of that licensed property world or in in Neverlanders?
0: Uh look, I, I figured you you've probably got experience in both. I mean, I really want you to talk about Neverlanders here, but is it confining? Is it liberating to have like a train track that you go down and you get to define the set, the destination?
1: Yeah, it's a bit of both. I mean, sometimes you know, the, when you you know, if you're writing Star Wars, for instance, and you're like. I wanted to have this happen. And Boba Fett's having a tea party with Luke Skywalker on this planet. And they're like, actually, that planet was blown up by the Death Star, so you can't do that. You know, having some rail guards, it can be really, really helpful sometimes. Um, sometimes when you're looking at something creator-owned and the entire universe is yours, so nobody's telling you no, nobody's saying, hey, you can't do this idea, or, you, you know, you have to contain some of these crazy ideas. Um, so sometimes that sort of blank canvas is really daunting. But I think with Neverlanders, we, we we sort of found the best of both worlds because it is an established, you know, an established idea that people are already familiar with. And we got to literally build a universe from it. I mean, particularly with John, visually, um, it, we just got to discover something really amazing and really fresh and just John's stamp all over it.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, one, one thing else I'll add to that is that, Um, very much, you know, for me, I, I purposefully made sure that I avoided going back and watching any of the old Disney cartoons or Hook or any of the things that have already been established. You know, for me, I wanted to just have... Um, the memories that I had as a kid watching it, and and what I knew about the Peter Pan story, so therefore it would just be the really big major points of that story and that world that we could then riff on, you know, and play with and that sort of thing. And, and I kind of feel like that's what we've sort of um, ended up with in a way. Like, so it's it's really, it, I mean, so many times Tom and I have had conversations, and you know, said for all intents and purposes, this could be any other island with any other group of pirates and kids and all that sort of thing, but um, just Having that Neverland, you know, and then taking a character like Tinkerbell and creating our own version of her, um, the pirates, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, and, um, you know, just using those broad strokes to create something completely new and fresh, you know, very, very fresh, I I would say, is the, the way to describe it.
0: You're you setting me up here. Like my very next question, uh, I've got I've got Tinkerbell mentioned. I really wanted to ask you about like you've you've got this whole new spin on characters. So I think you know you mentioned the Disney film. I think a lot of us, when we think Peter Pan, we're thinking of that that that's what it is in our head. But then your aesthetics, like I, I'm going to call out Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell has this real like. Skin from Skunk and Nancy. If we just make another '90s reference here, skin from Skunk and Nancy, but make her a samurai kind of vibe. <laughs> what did you want? Like, how did you use the aesthetics to say, you know, all of this unspoken history of Neverland? Like, you've you've created a Neverland where the pan has disappeared. Like, what did you want your aesthetics to do to tell that history without having to go back? I guess over the the whole trodden ground. Mm,
2: um, well. You know, that really it was a matter of, um, you know, when you're creating a world, you want everything to fit in that world. You know, you want things to really be very cohesive and to make sense. So with um, a lot of the the Neverland costumes and and, um, the actual character designs, you know they've got a certain feel and aesthetic which all links up. It's a little bit piratey, but it's got a little bit of um, maybe I don't know post-apocalyptic, like collecting junk together. And you know um, one of the notes that Tom gave me very early on was, you know, we want want their costumes and their suits to sort of be made up of just pieces of junk that have been laid out throughout history you know um so i I kind of had that thing in mind and then we sort of went with more of an animal theme as as we developed it which um really fit the lost boys quite well or lost ones i should say and um with tink particularly you know um i think i had a bit of um furiosa from mad max fury road in my head you know just one of that really tough warrior woman type of character um rather than the the dainty fairy you know very ballerina style that that is more what you see in in disney i mean we definitely wanted to go the complete opposite to (laughs) what had been established before i think that that disney version is so iconic that Mm -hmm. we just had to go in a completely different direction to make our version as iconic as that if that's what we achieved i don't know but yeah
0: you guys are just you, you guys are exploding 2023's book week. That's that's my first thought. Like there are gonna be kids. <laughs> there are gonna be kids who are loving this. Now we've we we could not not say that this is Neverland with the title Neverland is we couldn't not mention Peter Pan. I don't know how much else we can mention. So I wanna I wanna go a little bit thematic here rather than specific plot points. You introduce us to a group of homeless kids who are about to have their whole world change when they meet a guy named Paco. Youth and independence are really big themes of Neverlanders, as they as I guess they were in the, the J.M. Barry original. Given that none of us here would technically qualify for entry to Neverland anymore, I kind of wondered, like... Where did you want to go? What did you want to say about being young, and particularly, I guess, that theme of taking charge of your life, which so many of the lost ones have to grapple with.
1: Look, I think obviously that's a very big theme of all of this. It's about independence. This is a a real found family we have with B and Justin and Gracie and Luz and Felix. Like this, these kids came together found each other. They they talk about you know that they don't have to tell each other why they don't have a family or why or where they've come from or what foster families they've come through. This is their family now. And so when Paco comes to them and offers them essentially a better life, they're living in a junkyard and says, would you like a better life? And he zooms them away to fight in the Neverland War against greedy, selfish adults from other lands who are attempting to take the heart of Neverland. Um, You know, it becomes an allegory for the world we're living in right now. Where we do have corporations and governments and et cetera, that are essentially attempting to take pieces of the world away and without without regard for future generations. So in a way, we wanted this book to be a call to arms for future generations to feel free to stamp their authority and fight back. Yeah. Um, the heart of the heart of Neverland, the tree of Neverland, is obviously you know it's all an, an allegory for climate change. Um, and, um, you know, we, we, we haven't been subtle about that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I think it's, you know, hopefully it's a bit empowering. But I think we all remember being kids and being introduced to those Peter Pan stories and that idea of never having to grow up and living in this fantasy world in a tropical island is just so appealing.
0: I want to come to that again. I am fascinated just having you both here with that connection between words and visuals. You mentioned sort of Tom the the heart and they t- they keep referring to the heart of Neverland and it is it's a tree. Was that was it always a tree? John, did you inv- did you imagine it as a tree after Tom gave you this idea of the heart? Where did where did that come from?
2: Yeah, no that was uh that was one thing that um, Tom 100% came with that idea of of it being a tree. Um, and my contribution to that was just designing a super cool looking tree inside of a really nice setting, you know, (laughs) um, which, which was our, you know, the grove where we've, um, you know, that's kind of been like the, the lost boys base and we've now made it where the lost ones live and, um, where they set up shop basically.
0: Mm. And it's this situation where i guess you you create it as it's a it's a perpetuating mechanism like it's you know the the tree offers so much it gives so much and it will keep going and you you create the the other landers as, as basically saying kind of middle fingering that and saying no we're just we're going to take for as much as we can get in the time that we can get it, this ignoring this, you know, I guess beautiful idea of regeneration. Tom, you, you talked about it not being subtle, but it does have this, you know, kind of beautiful big theme. Is that is that a part of the medium? Is that a part of the books, graphic novels? Um, something about superheroes and powers is you go big, but that really is what grips people?
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, if you... As a general rule, when you sit down, you have something to say. And comics gives you an amazing medium with mm. which to say it. And I say it's not subtle, but at the same time, it's not... There's no lectures in this book. Mm. You know, the story tells the story. It's not big speeches and, you know, it, it's an allegory. It's not, it's not hitting you over the head. Yeah. And so... The first things first is that it needs to be entertaining. I mean, I, I point this out constantly, particularly to new writers coming into the medium that we're working in the entertainment industry and the first thing you need to remember is to entertain. You need to make sure that people want to turn the page and find out what happens to the characters. And all of that is is equally important as, as the themes and the messages. You know, yes, you can use this as a vehicle for vent and as an outlet for outrage. But remember to tell a joke. Remember to make people fall in love with these characters. Mm. Remember the heart and the humour and the action and the adventure.
0: Did you did you go much back to the source material? Like, I, I remember, you know, my experiences of Peter Pan and it was always a very sort of visceral environmental space in Neverland, but w- was there any of that um, environmental theme there or did you really want to bring that into the modern age
1: i think bringing it into the modern age was Mm. that's every conversation john and i had in the first days i mean this is essentially a sequel Mm. to james play um but we wanted to tell a story that takes place now and with a world that looks like now with characters with lost ones that are from now Um, so I think that was, you know, yes, we look to, you know, I remember being at the play when I was like four years old, for some reason, I have a really vivid memory of this. My uncle took me and there were people on wires flying around and it was incredible. Um, and yes, we look to the source material, but it's, I think what's more important are the new characters that we've created on this page and it's, it's building on the legacy. Mm.
0: I don't know how much we can talk about the new characters. I want people to discover something. I, I will acknowledge the team dynamic is incredible. Like, it's it's got everything you want from, from love to tension to uh, a, a adorable big puppy dog eyes. And then, <laughs> like... Tell me, tell, talk to me generally, because we won't give anything away here. Talk to me generally about team building, and John also like when you build the visuals into that kind of power structure. You've mentioned the animal themes that you went into, but how do, how do you make sure the team has the right balance? Um, I guess psychically and visually.
2: Mm, um, well, well, on the visual side, um, I like variety you know like that's something it, it really um, brings a lot of interest to the table when you've got variety so you know in, in every aspect we're talking about so their ages you know their heights um, their body shapes um, the specific animals actually played a lot into the personality and the character as well and and some of those um, you know uh, with a couple of the characters I just drew them and they came out blah, you know, straight away on the page. Um, and then with uh, a few of the other ones, we really developed them and went back and forth quite a bit. Um, for example, Felix, you know, he started out being a more of a turtle character (laughs) and, um, that it just didn't really suit his character as we got into the story when we realized, you know, he's more, he's going to be like a, a stealthy spy kind of a guy. So we ended up with the Fox character for him and, you know, a little bit more of a a sort of a ninja kind of um, looking outfit in in a way, that sort of thing. Um, You know, that's me bringing my computer game, you know, geek sort of background into, into the designs and that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, look, it really was. It was just that that variety, I think, to um, make them really interesting, and then um, the style just sort of ties it all in together, I suppose. What
0: about um, what about psychically there, Tom? I'm just I'm using the word psychically here, but I mean in terms of feeding off the visuals into you know the character or vice versa. Like, what did you need in your team dynamic to make Neverlanders work?
1: I think. Look, we. <sighs> There's a lot of different team dynamics mm. at play with Neverlanders. There's obviously you've got essentially a mother and father figure for this group, mm. which are being um, you've got Justin, who's incredibly protective, and you know and uh, down and so it made sense. And and also he's come through a lot of trauma. He's mm. come through a really horrible situation and he can't find a happy thought. So of course what we did is we wrapped him in armor, mm. and that made a lot of sense. B was always this leader who is a bit more optimistic and always and from page two fights for her friends. And so of course putting her in an armored carapace and giving her a sword and also giving her the ability to talk to these people with her mind, which I think was actually John's idea in the end, the Hive Mind, which is so genius. You know, it's it's one of those things, you know, if you if you if you write The Justice League, for instance, which I've done a few times, like there's a great dynamic there where you've got these powers that all balance out and and help each other out. You know, you've always got, it's like playing overwatch. You've got a healer, you've got, you've got a tank, you've got fighters, you know, and we have a similar thing with this group, but as a family, they have a, a really great dynamic as well. And you've got Gracie who's this absolute ray of light who everybody wants to protect and love. And will always say, you know, speak truth to power. Um, and so we've got this great dynamic there and visually it was it was important to get that all lined up as well. But that John just does that automatically. I mean, he just, you know, he creates these beautiful, unique silhouettes. With, you can pop them all in a silhouette on a page and they, they're varied and different and appealing.
0: There is... I'm going to describe it as like, you know, the head exploding emoji moment <laughs> in the book. Can't talk about it. Want people nope. to discover it. So... Acknowledging that I don't want to give too much away, there I also I, I really want to think a little bit, talk a little about how you take on themes of of corruption and redemption. So instead of talking about the head exploding emoji moment, I actually I want to come highlight the character of Justin. You've already mentioned he's one of um one of our I- initial characters, one of the um the lost ones, and he he goes through a, an arc where he has to think about this life process of making mistakes and trying to come back from them. And this is just huge, I feel like, for kids. And we live in a world, like, we live in this media-saturated world where sometimes it feels like your mistakes will exist in perpetuity. Yeah. Um, perhaps in a way, like, perhaps in a way that we can't understand because we, we grew up a little bit before that. What did you want to say about these ideas of corruption and also redemption and and speak to kids about
1: I think redemption is incredibly important. I think it's something that you'll see often in a lot of my in everything I write actually there's always, you know, empathy winning out over cynicism and in a way that's what we see here. You know, Justin, yes, mistakes are made, but he's still the family and there is redemption and I guess no one gets cancelled in Neverland unless they do something really heinous Um, but it is yeah, for Justin, Justin's arc it was really interesting. He wasn't he wasn't such a main character when we first set about creating this story, mm-hmm. and then he just grew and grew until eventually, you know, he and B are basically co-leads of this of this story, co-protagonists. Um, and Justin's arcs, you know, it's a very interesting one. We obviously we don't want to give away too much, but you know, we we deal with sacrifice and betrayal and and love and disappointment and. It's, it's all there, and luckily we've got someone like John who can put forward these incredibly complex emotions on the faces of these characters, and they're, they're breathing on the page.
0: They are. Yeah, again, Joe, just, I'm just going to nod to Gorgeous. I, I considered whether... I try and – because, you know, radio is such a great visual medium. Whether I try to characterize your your visuals for the listener, I don't yeah. think I would have done it justice. Um, but just another note, I'm going to tell everyone again, I am speaking with Tom Taylor and John Samariva, also known as, as Red J. They are the creators of Neverlanders, this incredible book. Guys, I think the only place I can go now – I saw hints, nods, loose threads. Is Neverlanders an ongoing concern in your minds? Are we expecting further adventures from this incredible super family that you've created? Everyone loves the super family, guys.
1: Uh, well, look, I can tell you because it's public, but we signed a two-book deal with Penguin. So there's definitely at least a second book. Um, where it goes beyond that, that, that will come down to the readers. That will come down to how many people embrace this and hopefully hopefully, the popularity is there enough for us mm-hmm. to continue on. I think John and I would happily play in this world for a very, very long time and continue to tell stories of these characters.
0: What happens? This feels like a really... I don't, I don't know that I want to end on this question, but this feels like a... a- <laughs> Uh, an interesting creativity question. When you when you sign something contractually that says, well, the the project is at least this big, but it's split into parts, like, are you thinking about the whole in the first book? Like, I mean, like I said, I thought I saw threads, but I don't know that you're going to pick them up.
1: Uh, definitely. Yep. I mean, there are definitely things that happen in book one that will pay off in book two. Um, and that affects book two. I mean, we wanted book one to work really well as a standalone and hopefully yeah. it does. But I think we, we set up things, you know, John and I were talking about things that happen. We can't really talk about
0: them. No, to uh, so actually really vague. You wanted um, to, you wanted to give yeah. us a, you wanted to give us a shadow of what was to come. Nod, wink, nudge. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Things like that. Uh, yeah, certainly we wanted to we wanted to put in little teasers and hints at things that will create future stories, not just book f- for book two, hopefully book three and four and five and the movie and then the TV series, you
2: know. <laughs> I, I really feel like Tom and I just have so much creative energy towards, I mean, just in general, I think we're both very, you know, like that, but we, we kind of hype each other up so much that we could basically take any little aspect of something that's been set up and just create a whole story just out of that one little thing and that'll spin out into a whole bunch of more you know stories and, and new characters and all that kind of thing so um yeah. you could just feel it anytime we start we, 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 don't, we don't have like short phone calls you know because we just start <laughs> buzzing on this stuff you know so <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: and look crazy should get her own spin-off kids books you know easily <laughs> <Gracie>. <laughs> girl brilliant
0: yeah the Amazing Lizard Girl, incredible. Ah, uh, Tom Taylor, John someriva they are the creators of Neverlanders. It has been an absolute buzz to have you on Final Draft, guys. We're going to have to do this again for Neverlanders too. This was just sure. the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's it for this great conversation with Neverlanders, creators, Tom Taylor and John Somereva. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and the Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. You'll find Final Draft on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER and subscribe in whatever podcast app you're listening to us. It means you'll get a new Great Conversation and bonus episodes every single week. My name is Andrew Popel. I'm going to be back next week with more great conversations from incredible Australian authors here on Final Draft. Till then, happy reading. Bye now.